You guys didn't see the sound booth, just sign up a big sign, hold up a big sign. The, the lapel is muted. Is it still muted? I'm good now. All right. <clears throat> Let's go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. We'll read a, a eight verses here and then take some thoughts out of this and then, then go from there. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not, might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and a rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Uh, John Betrell prayed about the reaching the next generation was part of his prayer, and I happened to catch that because I knew we were going. But I have this title, Showing to the Generation to Come. Here we have the idea that, that one generation has some responsibility to show God to that next generation. We'll, we'll pull some thoughts out of this. Let's pray and then we'll look at it. Lord, we ask that you'd help us as we look in your word that we would uh, heed what it says. Lord, we thank you for our school and the chance uh, to, be, to work in it and a chance to have my kids in it. Lord, we ask that you would uh, uh, help the school to be effective as it helps parents uh, train and raise their children for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Psalm 78 here. Several thoughts here as we get going. The first is in verse 3 there. It says, our fathers have told us. So we have here a reminder of the, really the, the central role that parents play in the life of the child. And even down in verse 5, it says there, uh, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That central role, parents are, the children are given to parents by God, and we have an awesome responsibility uh, when we're given a child by God. This idea is brought up many other places in the Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7 tells us this, speaking here about, well, I'll just read it. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. Talking about thou, <clears throat> thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Here the, 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 the father and the parent's responsibility to make sure their kids know God, have been taught about God. It's central responsibility. So uh, the first thought I have here is that this, this central, this primary job of the parents uh, is an intimidating responsibility. All right? It's, it's, uh, it'd be nice if you came home from the hospital and you know, like this 
paper floated down from heaven and said, all right, here's the steps. This is what to do. Or like a, um, if you've ever tried to put together some piece of furniture where it just has pictures and there's no words and you're just left with frustration. We'd, God, God gives, I'm not saying that God gives us a frustration, but, but there's not that set of instructions other than this book, all right, which is sufficient uh, to help us raise our children. It's an intimidating responsibility. Last Thursday, we were reminded of that sum. Uh, Dr. Bogan started out reading some passages, passages where it talked about fathers being able to negate a vow that a daughter made to God. If you think about that, that's, a, that's, that's, that's an amazing amount of authority that God gives to a father. And it's something that, that, that uh, is intimidating if we think about it. Some other verses here that, that can remind us of this, this intimidating, awesome job that's God given to us. Some of these more of a warning. Proverbs 23. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Proverbs 17.25. The other side. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. The central, God points to spanking as a way to train our children. And verse 14 to me is interesting. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. God here indicates that that spanking at least points the child in the way to not going to hell. Uh, Dr. Sorensen said, properly applied corporal punishment will not only deter a child from further foolishness, it will point him on a path away from hell. Amen. Right? And parents, we're, we're given that, that responsibility. And it's, it's scary to think about the times, I have kids in here, that I didn't spank my children when they needed it. Right? And I, 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 all my children are saved. I'm very thankful for that. But it's a scary thought to think that, that I might bear responsibility for my child ending up in hell because I didn't discipline them like God said. All right, so we have that central role that a, that a parent plays. That the children are given to the parents. The second thing I see here is in verse 4. <clears throat> it says there, We will not hide them from their children, showing unto the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. So here we have this idea of showing them to, to other people's children. One generation's responsibility to teach other people uh, the, the, the glory and the wonder of God. This doesn't interfere or undermine the parent's responsibility, but just because the, the, the parents are given that, soul, that central job, it doesn't mean that others don't have a role to play. Right? <clears throat> this is done by our church in many different ways, this idea of making sure it says there, um, talks about uh, will not hide them from their generation. Some ways that, that our church tries to make sure that God isn't hidden from the next generation, right? Uh, even uh, sermons and, and times like this, um, any church service we have, Sunday school, junior church classes, 
the, all the children just left to go to King's Kids. There, uh, we're going to try to make sure that God is not hidden from them. And then we're here tonight to talk about the academy. It's a wonderful place for children to be taught about God. Again, not taking the place of parents, uh, but a, a role to play there to come alongside of you and help make sure that God is not hidden from them. Dr. Sorensen again said this about this passage. Indeed, the coming generations are a resource which continually needs to be taught the things which God has done. It's an ongoing thing. There's always going to be a younger generation that has to be taught. And it's the, the older generation here has some role to play in making sure that God is not hidden from that next generation. Right. Also here in verse 4, we have three things listed that need to be shown to them. Again, we could, we could look at other places and find a, a different sets of lists, but this is what's here, and I thought it was worth looking at here. <clears throat> it says, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Our children need to learn that God should be praised, what he should be praised for. We should point out to them the wonderful things that God has done. Right? If we're not careful, our, our, our kids are going to learn that God must not be very good based on the way, the way mom and dad act. Right? Our children need to be taught that, shown the praise of the Lord. They need to be shown his strength, God's power, and God's might. Right? It's easy to, to you know, think about children's stories. We call them children's stories. Stories in the Bible about creation, or they think about the flood and the ark. If you just think about the God that did that, and sometimes we think we can challenge that. Right? Satan and this world are really, really good to making us only see this stuff right here and forget that there is a, a very powerful God that, that we need to make sure they learn about. And then also his wonderful works. We need to make sure that next generation learns about God's wonderful works, the wonderful things that he does. Salvation. I pray that I never get over that. I'm going to heaven. All right? I'm going to heaven. Most of you know my father died a few months ago. He went to heaven. All right? We talk about bittersweet. Like, man, I'd like to talk to my dad again. I will. But he's in heaven. I still, Pastor Mitchell said, he'll enjoy heaven. And you're right. Well, I'm going to heaven. Salvation. Uh, providential care in life. How God orchestrates and works in our lives. We should learn to, that we can trust God when we can't see how things are going to work out. There'll be times where we don't understand. And we've got to realize, wait, God has wonderful works. We should trust him. Again, Satan is good at helping us forget these wonderful works. And it's something our children need to be taught. And then uh, next thing here down in verse 7, we are also given a list of three things that the generation who has learned this will do. Verse 7 says that they might see, set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So the, the children that learn the praises of the Lord, his strength and his wonderful works should learn these. They should learn to hope in God. Now, this is not hope like a, a basketball team that's down by four points with two seconds and they're hoping to make the three-pointer, get fouled, 
and make the free throw. All right, that's not, there's a hope. That's not the idea here. The idea is to trust in God. Trust in God. That's easy to just say, oh, yeah, I'll trust in God. But they need to learn to do that. When there's a problem, when they're scared, God is the person we can trust in. We don't have to, to, to find someone on the internet that's going to give us advice or go to our friends. Not that friends are always bad. But our trust is in God. That's the one thing in life that I can trust. We need to learn to have confidence in God's word and trust in his promise. They should hope in God. Second thing there was they should not forget the works of God. We just mentioned that. But they won't forget the works of God. We mentioned some of those creation, the flood, the miracles of Jesus, the things that God's done in, in their life that they've seen him do in your life. Shouldn't forget those things. And then keep his commandments. That one's pretty straightforward. I have your just, plain, simple obedience to what God wants. Right? The person that is disobedient to God, or the child that is disobedient to God, they haven't got what this passage is showing us. Because they're, they're not simply keeping God's commandments. And we pray... I pray that our, our graduates in our school will exhibit these characteristics and that my children will and that the children of our church will do this. These are things that children who have not forgotten their God, who have been instructed by their parents and helped by others to not forget God, will exhibit these things. Right. Now let's think about our academy for a few minutes here. Um, this, Like I said, we're, we, we can offer some help and help children not forget God, help them not to be hidden. And we can do this from a position of authority, right? Not because I'm smart, all right? It's because of God's word. We can, we can teach from and base things on God's word. And that can sound a little bit, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's a nice phrase. But there's some real truth to that. So first of all, let me read you some verses from the Bible that talk about knowledge and wisdom starting with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and good understanding of all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, this is Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, That verse, Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalms 11.10 Sorry, got ahead of myself there. It says there, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. So I'll make one side comment there. So it connects good understanding with keeping God's commandments. Sometimes it's easy to say, well, if, if, if I understood better, then I would keep the commandments. And really it goes the other direction. If I just obey God, then I'll understand. Right, if... If you're a teenager here or a college student or an adult that you're faced with that choice, am I going to obey God? Just obey God. The understanding will come. Uh, Proverbs um, or Hebrews 11, 6 talks about it being impossible to please God without faith. And it's real easy for that to be another just like nebulous thought. Yeah, of course. Well, it's times like this where you're, you're, you have to obey and you don't understand why. You in faith obey. And God says the understanding will come. When we obey. So, all right, that knowledge and wisdom starts with God. Right? Um, <clears throat> one 
one truth that we get out of God's word is that he is our creator. And I want to take a few minutes and think about how just the fact that God is our creator affects what we do at school, affects how we think about different subjects. So first of all, there's at least three, and we could probably come up with more pretty easily, just things right off the top that God being the creator means. First is he's in charge. God makes the rules. He has every right to tell us what to do. Second thing is in the creation account, we're told to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. It's a command from God. My job is to figure out how this earth works. It's not necessarily talking about like gathering an army and conquering Canada. We'd have to decide if we want to go. But it's not talking about that necessarily. Conquering, subduing the earth and having dominion over it. God has given this task to mankind to subdue the earth. And as teachers guide their students, they are helping them fulfill that mandate from creation to subdue the earth and have dominion over. So when we approach school, we can say, oh yeah, we're doing this because God wants us to. But really, it, it's, it's not just this phrase. We are fulfilling this command at creation to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And then one other thing that creation gives to us off the top here is that it changes what we expect when we view the world around us. I try to think of an example uh, to, to make this clear. So imagine uh, going into uh, a man going into his workshop, or, or ladies, if you don't think about going into a kitchen or something like that, and, and organizing everything, putting tools away, cleaning up, getting things prepped up so that it would be an efficient place to work. Right? And I think on the other hand about someone going into the workshop or into the kitchen and just randomly moving things, dumping things out, throwing wood around the shop or bolts or nuts, just, just random things. Right? In the first case, you could walk into that shop and expect to find order, expect to find planning, some sort of structure and, and thought about how things were laid out. You would go in expecting that and look for it. In the second shop, you're not going to go in there and say, wow, I wonder what order the bolts are going to be in. There's, you're going to think there's, there's nothing to learn. It's just randomly thrown about. Okay? And as we look at the world, we're, God made the world. He put it together. He planned it. We should expect to see order and structure and design. Evolutionists literally think that there's just all these random events that created this world and this universe. And it should be shocking to them when they say, wow, there's order. Like going into my shop after I've been working and there's, you look at all of the screws are in order from smallest to largest and all of the batteries are on the charger and <laughs> that doesn't happen on the best of days. But an evolutionist looks at the world and the, 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 their thinking should, could, should, should say there should just be chaos and order and, and no, nothing to study. And, but that's what we find. It affects what we expect to find in the world, the fact that God created us. All right, so, and each subject in school can be viewed through that lens. God created the world, and it'll affect our subject. So I, I jot down a few. Uh, science, I think, is pretty easy. Here we're directly studying the most visible and hands-on part of God's creation. We should expect laws of nature. We should expect to see design. We should expect to see systems that work together. All right, we're in the middle of some 
uh, unusual weather, if you've ever studied the whole weather system and the, the winds and the heating of the earth and all that, we should expect, so others, we can learn how this works. We should expect that. As you approach science, we're expecting and we're learning about those systems as we fulfill that creation mandate. Another subject is math. And any, any sane person obviously loves math. Um, so... Uh, here we're studying the order and structure of another part of God's creation. If you've ever studied math, uh, you should study more. Uh, the, the, the order and structure baffles me. Baffles me. And I don't know how somebody could think that, that all of this came about by random chance. And then you go to this, this math system that God created and gave to us, and find order. Right. It's amazing. We look at it that way. The uh, Abeka textbook said this, the goal of Algebra 1, beyond just like thrills and excitement, <laughs> beyond those things, um, the first one is to study the order and absolutes in God's creation. Right? And, and as believing God created the world, that affects what we expect to find in math. How about history? History is the record of God's dealing with man. We expect to see God working, God orchestrating, because we believe that God created the world and has a purpose and a plan. We don't look at history and try to find the class struggle that Karl Marx believed in. They thought the whole history of the world is the rich versus the poor, or the more modern-day rendition of the wokeness crowd, the oppressed versus the oppressor. We don't look at history and expect that. We look at history and say, this is the record of what God has done. There's something we could learn here. There's patterns. We can, we can learn something. The Bible teaches us about this. Uh, let me just read a few verses. This is in Acts 17. And hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God's determined. He's in control. He's orchestrating. The next verse I think is interesting, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might fill after him and find him. God does want everybody to find him, and he's orchestrating things to accomplish that. And we can think about other stories, Mordecai with, his, with Esther, when he told her that it might be for just this time that you came into your position as the queen. This could be God's plan. Or Nebuchadnezzar, when he came to his senses, speaking of God, he doth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? We look at history, and it really is a record of what God has done. It's his story, not just a bunch of random events. All right, let's move on here. We can talk about English, but why? I'm kidding. All right. I don't know where Mrs. Case is. I like the Rasmus's case about how bad English is. And, you know, every good joke has that kernel of truth in it. All right. So. All right. <clears throat> Language uh, is the creation of God. Think about Adam. He didn't go to school. He starts off talking with God. Something given to us by God. We just should expect rules. We should expect standards. We should expect a right and a wrong way to do things. This is something God has given us. 
uh, have our correct pronouns. It's not up to each one of us to just decide. Right? Correct spellings of words. Right? God also has chosen to reveal himself through the written word. And we should want to know how to read so we can read his word. English grammar fits into this view of God created the world. There's a reason for it. It's a painful experience, but there's still a reason for it. Let me read you a couple of quotes here. English is a painful experience, not God, to be careful, clear. All right, Noah Webster. Language was bestowed on Adam in the same manner as all his other facilities and knowledge by supernatural power. In other words, was of divine origin. We're studying something that God has given to us. Uh, one of our textbooks says this, uh, we still believe that the Bible provides the only reasonable explanation for the origin of the universe of man and of language. We believe that the purpose of human language is the communication of God's truth, and we believe that there are standards for man to adhere to in language as in all of life. So English, grammar, viewed through this lens, has a completely different purpose. We could talk about art and how it gives us a glimpse into the beauty that God built into our world. And we can go through other subjects, thinking of God is our creator. That, that one truth from the Bible affects how we think about and how we teach and how we learn about everything in life, but also here in school. Put this page. Uh, schools that don't base their thinking on the Bible and on God's truth, really on a very shaky foundation. Right? There's, there's the, wisdom and knowledge starts with the fear of God. And if they're not starting there, they're in a bad place. Science becomes just this discovery of the product of millions of years of evolution. There's no divine purpose. There's no creation mandate. The order and pattern should be a shock there. Math is the invention of our minds. It's something we, we create. It's not, not a gift from God something we create. History is not a study of God's working among men. There's no grand purpose. There's no plan. Just whatever man happened to be doing. English isn't a gift from God. It's something that evolved as man did and will continue to evolve. There's not really concrete rights or wrongs. Without that foundation of, of the creator and viewing these subjects through that, we get to a very, very bad place, and our school is able to teach from that, that solid, strong foundation of the Bible and the truths in God's Bible and God's Word. Let me give you a couple of quotes here. These are from the 1920s, um, describing sending somebody to a school, to the public schools at that point, a school that's not based on, on God's Word. Place the lives of children in their formative years, despite the convictions of their parents, under the intimate control of experts appointed by the state, force them to attend schools where the higher aspirations of humanity are crushed out and where the mind is filled with the materialism of the day. He's making a point about government. He says, and it is difficult to see how even the remnants of liberty can subsist. But think about that. That was 1922, describing the, the schools in that way. Same uh, next year. A public school system, if it means the providing of free education for those who desire it, is a noteworthy and beneficial achievement of modern times. But 
when once it becomes monopolistic, it is the most perfect instrument for tyranny which has yet been devised. Freedom of thought in Middle Ages was combated by the Inquisition, but the modern method is far more effective. And that was 1923. There's there's some grave dangers of public schools or just in general, a school that's not based on the Bible and the truths that we get from the Bible. As we finish up here, two things. I'm thankful for a school that is able to stand on the solid foundation of God's word as it attempts to make sure God is not hidden from the next generation. And then as the principal, I'm thankful for parents that want uh, to tell their children about God and entrust us to assist them. We really do have a wonderful school and I hope we appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with the conclusion of our night as the teachers are able to present some things to the parents. Help that to go well. Lord, help us to appreciate what we have, a Christian school based upon your word and the teachings of your word. Lord, it's invaluable. And Lord, we ask that we would have the next generation not forget you, not have you be hidden from them, but Lord, that they would be faithful servants of you their entire life. Lord, again, thank you for our school. We thank you for our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.